Hello and welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. I've mentioned a couple times that I have been on medical leave since last August, and I didn't tell you why. I left you in suspense, not because I didn't want to tell you, but because I didn't know. Uh, I've had some weird medical issues dating back till I was very young, and I've had several different diagnoses placed on those issues. And now they're thinking that I have Lyme disease and that maybe I've had Lyme disease all along. So that's kind of a big deal. I want to tell you all about it. In order to do that, I feel like I need to tell you a little bit about my history because the way that this mystery illness has kind of ebbed and flowed and and come and gone and come again throughout my life has changed so much about who I am and and where I am, where I live and and thousands of other little things that have been influenced by this strange thing that I've dealt with for quite a long time. It started when I was a kid when I had crazy reactions to mold and went up into my adulthood when I started having muscle spasms and cognitive issues and neurological episodes and got pretty intense. And for a long time, I thought that it was fibromyalgia, but now my doctors are telling me that fibromyalgia diagnosis is out the window and they're pretty sure it's Lyme disease, but even that is not 100% diagnosis. So I decided that as part of my processing of kind of figuring out what it means to me to have Lyme disease and how that's going to fit in my life, I wanted to fill you in on everything and kind of talk through my history as a person and how my medical issues have tied into that and then bring you up to date in this episode. And then next week, I want to tell you all about Lyme disease and uh, why they think it's Lyme disease, the test results, the nitty gritty details of what's involved in having Lyme disease, because I think that's interesting. I mean, how many people do you know with Lyme disease? Maybe it's a couple, but probably not many. If I can be the person you know with Lyme disease, so much the better. I guarantee you that If you know someone with chronic pain, you have not heard their full story. All the times that they've been told by doctors that there's nothing wrong over and over when there's clearly something wrong. If it doesn't show up on the first test results, doctors so often just kick you out of the office and say you're fine. And that's insane. So I wanted to give you a firsthand look into what it's been like for me to be that person, to be the person who is constantly told over and over, you're crazy, you're making it up, it's all in your head, Uh, this is a psychological issue that's manifesting into physical symptoms, when in fact, I may have had Lyme disease since I was in second grade, there is the potential that I'm looking at that there may be permanent damage from having Lyme disease this long. On the good news side, I've never, ever had the opportunity to undergo treatment before. Everything I've ever been diagnosed with has always been either an environmental issue that I need to avoid or uh, a permanent issue like fibromyalgia that I need to learn to manage, but nothing that was ever even remotely treatable. Lyme disease, you can treat with antibiotics. It's very difficult to treat. It's very complicated. There's a whole bunch of co-infections that can happen. I have to be on antibiotics for anywhere from six months to three years. I'll talk more about that stuff next week, but basically things are looking up because I now have a direction forward. This whole story I'm going to tell you this week was before I had a direction forward, was the times where it was so up in the air what was wrong with me that I had to just make massive life changes and uh, massive decisions about what to do with myself as a human being in order to fit into the limitations that I had placed on me by a thing who knows what it was, maybe mold, maybe fibromyalgia. So I hope that this is interesting for you. If you have no interest in hearing my life story, then you can skip this episode. No problem with me at all. I will ask that If you are going to listen to this, uh, if you are the type of person who likes to help people fix things, that likes to 
suggest things to people based off of your knowledge, I ask that you don't do that for me about my health. Uh, I have gone down every alley imaginable to try to figure out what this thing is that I'm dealing with. And I'll tell you all about how confident I am that it's Lyme disease and how all the test results are pointing towards that uh, next week. But for this week, I don't need your advice. I don't need your opinions about what I've experienced in the past. I'm just presenting this to you, how it happened, how I thought about it when it was happening, because I, I know that I was wrong about a lot of this. I know that. But I don't, I don't need recommendations about how to fix me. That's going to stress me out. Please don't do that. This is actually something I would recommend if you know people with chronic pain in general. Ask them everything about what's going on with them before you even think about offering advice. And maybe you'll find something that you can offer them that they haven't heard, but you got to know their entire history first. I had a very frustrating interaction recently where I ran into an old friend who didn't know that I'd been on medical leave. I limped up to him because he, uh, he didn't even know that I'd been walking with a limp recently because Lyme disease is affecting my leg. And uh, without having any idea what was wrong with me, I didn't even know about Lyme disease at this point, if I'm remembering correctly. But he immediately launched into this whole tirade about how I needed to fix my diet and exercise. And if I did that, I wouldn't be sick anymore. But when he has no idea that I potentially have Lyme disease, then why the fuck is he giving me advice about how to fix what he doesn't even know? So that mentality bothers me quite a bit. And that's something that I'm very nervous about as far as putting this out there, putting my own history out there, because it opens me up to scrutiny in a way that I am not used to. Uh, so I would ask that you take all of this story as just my story. This has nothing to do with you. You don't need to change this or fix this. This is all in the past. There's nothing I can do about anything that happened to me in the past. I can only look forward in a positive way, which is what I have worked very hard to do as a human being in general. And, and yet, even though I'm very nervous and very uncomfortable about what I'm doing on the show this week, I still feel compelled to do it. I feel like the benefit of just being honest and sharing who I am and where I come from uh, how can how can that be a bad thing? And it, it feels like it's a necessary part for me of working through this new diagnosis. The last thing I'll say before diving into the episode is that I believe that we live in a pervasive culture of judgment in regards to people and their health. And I, I am I am deeply frustrated by this. This is something that I've actually talked to other people who live with chronic pain uh, and discovered that they deal with very similar things. So I have my fingers crossed that maybe by doing this episode uh, and the one I'm going to do next week, more specifically about Lyme disease, that maybe I can change a couple of people's minds about how they look at people with chronic illness because you can understand how many steps, how many exhausting experiences you have to have to get to a diagnosis with anything that's even remotely hard to diagnose in our current, current medical system. Oftentimes when I bring up my health, people avert their eyes, they look away, they act annoyed that I'm forcing them to to deal with something that's a little bit outside of their comfort zone. So if you are the type of person who's annoyed by this, I am very excited to annoy the shit out of you in part one of my medical story. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Lyme disease. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Lyme disease. So what's the situation? Since the beginning of August, I have been home from work. August of 2016. I haven't been to work since August of 2016. It is now uh, March of 2017. What led up to that was strange and confusing. Uh, a period of increasingly 
increasingly desperate fatigue is how I will say that. I was getting to work later every day, leaving work earlier every day. My coworkers are incredible for putting up with me, but I just couldn't wake up. And then I couldn't stay awake once I was awake. Uh, I was taking naps in the middle of the day at work for hours at a time. So it started with the fatigue uh, and then built in some other weird symptoms. My right arm was tingly and burny from from like the elbow down. And that was starting to happen 24 hours a day or, or very close to. Uh, I was having stiffness in my right foot. I was having difficulty walking. Um, up until August of last year, I was a leasing professional, a leasing manager, actually, fancy sounding, even more fancy sounding. I was a leasing manager and I would, uh, a big part of my job was walking around and showing people apartments in this fancy apartment complex up in Northgate. So, I was having a hard time walking and it got to the point where I had to either ask people who were walking with me to walk slowly or just start to not take any tours and have my coworkers take them for me, which is very frustrating for me because I like to equally contribute to anything that I'm a part of. So these symptoms were building up. For the last seven or eight years, I've lived my life on this sort of knife edge between functionality and non-functionality. And the reason that I've had for that is that I've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And I lived my life for three or four years thinking that I had fibromyalgia, which is crazy. But then this new, uh, this new thing was happening at work where I was just really, really not feeling well, really having a hard time getting through the day. Got worse and worse. And the weird thing is that I was having these weird kind of cognitive episodes where, say I was writing a lease at work. I couldn't remember how to do it. I would do one tiny little thing and then the next thing would completely escape me. And I'd have to go back to the beginning and look at how Elise was put together and remember the process that I'd done thousands of times before that was second nature to me. Uh, I couldn't access the part of me that had a second nature. I was only first nature. Not, not a good feeling. I was having these cognitive episodes and then the tingling in my arm was really starting to concern me because normally when I get weird tingly feelings, they kind of come and go. I'll have a weird episode where I'll feel horrible. I'll be exhausted. I'll be tingly. I'll be like have muscle spasms. I'll lie on the couch for a couple of hours. Uh, and then the next day I'm fine. That's, that's been normal to me for about seven or eight years. That's shitty. It's a shitty thing to live with, but it's very manageable. Uh, I learned how to manage my, my energy level. I learned how to eat well. Uh, I learned how to eat in a way that was in harmony with my body, learned how to listen to myself when I would eat something, I'd have a spasm attack later. It's like, well, maybe I shouldn't eat that food anymore. It, it's shitty. Sure, it's a shitty thing to have to live with, but, but there are far shittier things. I've experienced far shittier things. I'm going to back up in this story a little bit uh, and tell you a little bit of my history going through the diagnostic process to make what I'm going through now make more sense. So this actually starts when I was a wee lass, when I was in second grade. Uh, when I was in second grade, I started complaining to my parents of a weird mental issue, uh, confusion, dizziness. Uh, suddenly I wasn't able to understand what I was reading in class or pay attention. My memory seemed really bad for strange periods. So my parents took me to the doctor. The doctor said there was nothing wrong. This is the first time I'll hear this in my life and I will hear it to this day over and over and over and over, and it infuriates me. There's this sort of feeling in the medical establishment that I run into over and over that if something isn't readily apparent, then it's not a real issue. Uh, if something doesn't show up on test results, it's not a real issue. And that 
that mentality is at the core of why I still uh, am going through diagnostic process at 32 years old when I started this at second grade. So I hate that, by the way, <laughs> in case you didn't notice. Uh, so anyway, I'm told that there's, there's nothing wrong. I complain more if memory serves uh, of the dizziness and the vision problems. So they take me to an eye doctor and I get prescribed reading glasses. Even though the reading glasses were helping with a little bit of the dizziness, they didn't help with the other symptoms, the weird memory issues and, and all this other stuff that was happening. But the funny thing about having memory problems is that when they go away, it's very hard to remember them. <laughs> That's super fucking true. We actually went back through my medical records to second grade and we found a doctor's note that said, Jesse is complaining of weird mental issues, dizziness, and, and, and all these things. We found that note. I didn't remember that at all. So, uh, so that's why I'm bringing up second grade, because second grade might be relevant to this story. The official thing that happened is that I got reading glasses, I got slightly better, I stopped complaining because everyone told me there was nothing wrong, and I just dealt with it. As soon as summer vacation hit, I felt better, for many obvious reasons, but in a way that only someone who deals with a chronic thing can explain, which is... There's this thing that I know is wrong with me that is now gone. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to explain it. Doctors tell me it's not there, but now it's gone. And it's a great feeling. It's a very nice feeling. Because you start to feel a little crazy when, when a doctor tells you that what you're experiencing isn't real. But I went on summer vacation and I got, vet, I got better within a couple of months. I'm not talking about like the day school let out, because that was a great day for for. for other reasons that are very obvious to everyone who's ever, ever been to second grade. Although my second grade teacher was wonderful. Thank you, Ms. Howard. Uh, but summer's when he gets to play Nintendo, and that's exciting. But within three weeks of being on summer vacation, I felt like I was getting back to my old self. Went back to school, felt fine. We learned very early on and during my third grade year that my second grade classroom was completely, completely overrun by mold in the walls. They had to, to tear out all the walls. So... New piece of information in the puzzle is that maybe I had a weird reaction to mold. Maybe. Maybe it was a combination of needing reading glasses and there being too much mold in that classroom. And maybe I got a little sick from that. That's, that's a thing that can happen. That's plausible. So we just kind of went about life from there. Then I got into high school. I went to Valhalla High School for two years. My second year was incredibly miserable for me because my energy was just gone. I was walking through life like a fucking zombie. I was just feeling like I couldn't stand. I could barely stand. I could barely walk myself to classrooms. I couldn't do homework when I got home because I was so tired. I would uh, just lie in bed and listen to OK Computer over and over. And that was how I'd kind of recharge myself because, God damn, that's a good album. I had no energy to do anything. And, and it was so frustrating. By the time I was done with sophomore year, it got to the point where I was almost crippled by it. But then we made a discovery. The library at Valhalla High School was overgrown with mold. Uh, Valhalla's a great school. I don't, <laughs> this is a factual thing that happened. Uh, I don't want to say anything bad about the school at all. They completely ripped that library out and replaced it. So I actually saw a video recently of people singing and dancing inside of Valhalla High School, singing about going to that school. I didn't even recognize it because so much of it has been rebuilt because of this mold issue. But that school was built on a water table and mold just soaked up through the lawn, through the grass into this shed on the, on the grass and that shed started to sink and mold soaked up through the basement and into the library and the library. I mean, one time, one time I pulled a book off the shelf and there was four inches of mold on it. Th then my family has to sit down and say, what if, what if Jesse is highly allergic to mold? What if, what if that's the problem? 
What if he's one of those people that's like a bubble boy that needs to not be ever exposed to any type of mold? So the only way to test that is to be away from the environment. The school year ended. I went home on summer vacation. Within, uh, within the first couple of months, I'd say, I started to feel better. It took longer this time, but I started to feel better. And that seemed to be a really, really good proof that maybe mold was the culprit. So I switched high schools. I went to Grossmont High School for my last two years. Shout out to the Foothillers. Uh, And it was actually a really good thing for me. And this is going to be a consistent theme in today's episode, which is that sometimes the shittiest things end up being really good things for me. Not always, but sometimes. I mean, the people from Valhalla, most of them I'd gone to middle school with also. I just like never really did well with that crowd. And I just, I just did better with the crowd at Grossmont. And it's so interesting because it's a little microcosm of what would happen later in my life when I moved to Seattle for very similar reasons. But yeah, I became much happier in school. I had a lot more energy all the time to do anything, which was really exciting. I finished high school. I go to college. I went to San Diego State University. I got my Bachelor of Arts in Music and I minored in Religious Studies. I studied uh, electroacoustic composition. That was what I was really into. And every once in a while, I'd have a day or two uh, where I just didn't quite feel right. But at this point in my life, I've kind of accepted that. Maybe Maybe I'm just a weirdo who's super sensitive to mold. And every once in a while, I get exposed to mold and get sick. And that's, that's fine. I can live with that. And that theory was tested over and over and over. I, could, I actually became a human mold detector. Uh, I could walk into someone's house and tell them they had mold because I started to feel weird. And then, and then they'd say, what? And then they'd go look and they'd find it. And that never failed. And I also never failed to get sick when I went into a room with a lot of mold. Where other people could smell it in the room, I was done for. I would, I would collapse, I'd have a hard time moving my limbs, I'd just be so deathly tired that, that doing anything was remarkably difficult. So I get through college in three and a half years, which I'm still proud of. I smoked through that shit. I was living in this amazing place in Normal Heights in San Diego where I grew up and I decided I was going to get healthy. I was going to start running every day. I was going to try being a vegetarian. And if you're bad mouthing tofu out there, fuck yourself. It's so good. You just haven't had tofu that was cooked right. A very versatile substance. So I got really into cooking tofu and that turned into being vegetarian, basically. I got into a place where I was waking up every morning and going for a jog. Every morning, without fail. Maybe one day a week I'd take off. Maybe. But before I'd have breakfast, I'd go for a little two-mile jog. I'd put on some Michael Jackson or some, some dance tunes, some funk or some disco, and I'd run down to the bridge, down by the freeway, I'd run across that and back to my house in Normal Heights. And that became my morning ritual. Then I'd take a shower, I'd make breakfast, I'd watch an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and I'd go about my day. Uh, Because at that point, I was working as a recording technician at San Diego State, which is a job I got right when I finished college. And I was running a recording studio in Normal Heights. That was my dream. So I got out of college and my dream was handed to me. My parents and my grandparents all invested in me as a person to have a recording studio. And right out of college, I was... Uh, making a full-time living off of music. Sure, it, it wasn't because I was writing, recording, and performing my own stuff, which I was doing. Uh, I was making all my money from recording other people and from producing other people. Uh, I produced a lot of hip-hop. I produced acoustic rock. I produced Persian music. And then in my studio, it's, you know, that's where I get to be a producer and I get to help shape the sound of something for someone else. That's what it, I, I really love doing that. I really love doing that. And that to me felt like it was a good backup career 
because I already had it. And my primary career in my mind would be someday be an, uh, an artist in my own right that doesn't need to work on other people's music. But I love working on other people's music, so that can be my, my backup career. So life was going great. I was feeling very healthy for quite a long time, the healthiest I've ever felt. Uh, and I was living out a little slice of my dream which scared the shit out of me in a lot of ways because it was so good pursuing my bigger dream while living out one of my other dreams, which is uh, sort of my, my MO. <laughs> I'd gotten to the point where I was strong enough that I could bike for an hour, play racquetball for an hour, and then bike home for an hour. And I did that several times, like four or five times with two different friends at two different racquetball courts on two completely different sides of San Diego. And I was fucking pumped about it. I was like, man, I feel like an athlete for the first time. You know, like I feel like, uh, I feel like I'm actually using my body in a way that's like, real for the first time versus uh, being kind of a scrawny kid that I'd always been. I was awful at sports, awful at sports. I never got picked. I was picked last a lot, or I was usually picked second to last, but I was definitely on the bottom of the roster in elementary school and in middle school for PE and all that stuff. That's a whole other form of trauma we're not going to talk about today. So, so I was very strong and I had uh, gone to play a racquetball game with a friend. I didn't bike there. I just drove there. I was being lazy that day. Uh, and racquetball is a very intense game that I love very much. And we played hard. We always did, my friend Matt and I. We were right in the middle of a game, and all of a sudden, this wave of bizarre feelings swept across my body. Uh, my right hand started tingling really, really strong. But this was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. I thought that I was having a stroke. My hand was tingling so hard. I looked at my hand, and I swear it turned blue, but I don't know. Because that's the only time anything like that's ever happened, even to this day. Although a hell of a lot of weird shit besides this has happened. My hand has not turned blue again, besides that one racquetball game. So I thought maybe I had just played too hard. So I just took a breather, felt normal in like half an hour and drove home. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll take it easy for a couple of days. I probably just played too hard, got a little lightheaded. Uh, a day or two later, I was unable to get off the couch because my body stopped working. It just, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't fatigue because I've experienced that many times. This was something different. This is where you try to send a signal to your leg and it doesn't hear you, where you cannot move your leg, where you can think as hard as you want at your right leg and nothing will happen. But, but body parts started turning off. Uh, I was on the couch and just couldn't access my ability to move. And then it would come back. It would kind of come and go in waves that were very uncomfortable. It's like rolling around inside of a, of, of a ship is what it feels like. And when the ship leans left, you lose the ability to walk. When the ship, ship leans right, you get really nauseous and dizzy, but your leg comes back. That's what it feels like. But then the ship is swinging over the course of three hours each direction. I don't know. That was a weird analogy. So we went to the emergency room at that point. I was dating somebody at the time who was a very, very empathetic person, who was incredible about all this kind of stuff and took me, came with me to the emergency room. We'd been together for, I think, six months at that point. And they thought that I was having a stroke. Uh, but so they looked me over and they determined pretty quickly that I wasn't having a stroke. Uh, and then they wanted to send me on my way. <laughs> and I was like, guys, like there's something seriously wrong with me. Like I can, I can bear, I can walk sometimes, but not others. I peed every 20 minutes for hours and there was pee there every time. My body just went into some crazy episode where everything started working differently. But when you walk into a doctor's office and you tell them that, especially in an emergency room, their first thought is, well, 
yeah, but you're like, right now you're walking and peeing is normal. And I mean, you say you feel dizzy, but you seem like way more cohesive than most of the people that I deal with on a daily basis. So this isn't a problem. And I'm going to send you home. There's nothing wrong with you. That's, that's all the rest of that. I can kind of understand, but it's the, there's nothing wrong with you part where I just get really angry. So I got really lucky that night because my friend Ben was actually uh, working at that hospital. I'm taking his word on this, but he told me that the doctor wanted to send me home because he thought that I was trying to get drugs. And my friend convinced the doctor, said, no, I know this guy. He's not trying to get drugs from you. If he tells you there's something wrong, you should check him out. So they sent me and I had an MRI that night. That's when they uh, use magnets to look in your brain. So I got a bunch of pictures of my brain. Everything looked normal. They told me there was nothing wrong with me. And at that point, I have no evidence to refute that claim besides the fact that I feel awful. Uh, and I'm still having a really hard time walking and peeing more than anyone has ever peed. I go back to see my primary care uh, doctor a couple days later. But at this point in the story, it's important to note that my symptoms never alleviate uh, for about a year. I spent a full year feeling incredibly ill every day when I was around 24, right out of college. It's a horrible time to lose a year. Uh, so all the rest of this story, I'm going to tell you about this period of my life. Keep in mind that I couldn't go to work. Uh, I couldn't go out and hang out with friends. Uh, I could do two things, sit at home and watch TV or go to the doctor. Those are the two things that I did for, for quite a while. Eventually I added in going to Starbucks because a close friend of mine worked at Starbucks. And if I had a little tiny bit of energy, I would go sit at Starbucks for a couple of hours and just be around people. And I went to a hell of a lot of doctor's appointments and they could not find anything wrong. I went to neurologists. I went to cardiologists. I went to, and yes, neurologists, plural. I went to two or three. I, I talked to probably 15, 20, a bunch of doctors about every possible lead that we could think of. And we couldn't find anything wrong. Nothing on any of these test results came back wrong. So a couple of weird things happened when you drop off the face of the earth like this, you find out who your real friends are, for starters, because a lot of people get too scared to look you in the face because you were healthy and now you aren't. And for me, it was, it was almost worse that I couldn't tell them what was wrong. I was embarrassed that I didn't know what it was, that I, I was embarrassed that I had so many doctors telling me that it was nothing, but I still couldn't get off the couch. Being told it's nothing doesn't help when you can't walk. But I, I never went back to my job ever. Uh, my studio, my recording studio basically closed down. And I just settled into a long, long, long TV binge where I watched all of Farscape and all of Stargate, all of the West Wing, a hell of a lot of Smallville, of course, tons of Star Trek. But I just kind of lost myself in, in TV. You know me, I love TV. I love being able to immerse myself in these weird worlds. And I, I really connected to Pilot from Farscape. If you've never seen that show, it takes place aboard a living ship named Moya. And Pilot, aptly named, is the pilot of the ship. Pilot is connected to Moya. They are physically connected in a way where their minds are linked together. So becoming a pilot of a ship is something that this species dreams of and wants to do. Uh, be because there's no more expansive feeling than being connected to a living ship for these, for these creatures. He's got like the, the head of a shellfish in the arms of an octopus with fingers. Well, no fingers. I don't know. I don't remember. Pilot's really cool. But Pilot feels pain all day, every day. Just by being connected to Moya, he feels pain all day, every day. 
And I was in a position where I was feeling pain every day. There's a pressure on the right side of my head all the time. And it started when I went to the emergency room when I was 24. It started that day and it never went away to this day. So I'm 32, so I guess it's been about eight years that my head has hurt. And that was diagnosed as migraine pain. Uh, They were saying that something was happening to trigger migraines every day and I was having a migraine every day. That, that became the, the running theory for quite a while because migraines can actually cause a lot of the peripheral nervous system stuff that I was experiencing, the tingling, uh, the weird issues with walking, possibly even muscle spasms, possibly. Possibly can be caused by migraines. According to, well, let me say this. According to some of my doctors, that's possible. According to many others, that is not. And that's a recurring theme in, in my life as well. But migraines were the first big theory. But besides that, we really didn't have anything to go on while I, for, for those first long months while I was watching all this TV. But the weird thing is that I was so sick that I didn't even notice that my life was gone. I was so sick and out of it that I was content to watch TV and wait for the doctors to figure it out. Uh, I was very calm. I was very sure that a solution would be found. And it was a really cool feeling because I had been having weird issues since second grade. and. This time it was so much more serious that I felt confidence in science and in medicine that it would find a solution and that maybe it would fundamentally change my life. Then one day I found mold in my house. In my house. When when I'd moved to this house, we'd had it tested for mold and the test came back negative. What I didn't know at the time is that if you move into an old building, even if you have it tested for mold, there can still be mold. Mold tests are bullshit. Here's how they work. You put a Petri dish down with something on it that mold likes to eat. If there are mold spores in the air, they will eat whatever's on the Petri dish and multiply. You'll be able to test it, possibly even see it growing on the Petri dish. So if there's no mold spores in the air, then it's assumed that there's no mold spores in the house. That's bullshit. Because if there's mold under your house, the mold spores have to be blown around to get into the air but the mold will still release a toxin, a mycotoxin, uh, a volatile organic compound, VOC, MVOC, a mold VOC. So that will still happen in a house that is tested negative for mold, unless they test for that MVOC, which I learned a long time later. So anyway, I had that house tested. I'd lived there for about four years, and I had been so healthy for so long. But then this massive health crisis kicks in. Cut to six, nine months later, I'm not sure how long it was. I had a a weird cabinet because, you know, it's a hundred-year-old house. One of those craftsmen's, they're so cool where there's actual cupboards built into walls. You don't see that anymore. But I pulled one of the cupboards out to clean it. And I'm like, oh my God, I can see below it to the foundation. And the foundation was clay. It was uh, a raised foundation over clay. And clay is a bad substance if you are sensitive to mold because when clay gets wet it expands it creates a moisture barrier and water cannot get away there was this big rainstorm six months to a year before that that had flooded the foundation the driveway was flooded because the foundation water level was so high that it was leaking out into the driveway so i know that the entire foundation was soaked uh, within the last year of finding mold because i pulled that cupboard out i looked down inside i saw the foundation i'm like wow i want to see what that looks like pulled out a flashlight looked down and i saw mold from standing in my hallway, I saw mold. So then we call in the mold testers again and have him test the house for mold to see if there's a dangerous level in the house. 
he tests for mold and he tells me, according to the mold test, there's no mold in the house. And I stand there and I look at him and I point to that hole in the hallway where that drawer should be. I turn on a flashlight and I say, then what is that? And I show him the mold. And he says to me, I can't say what that might be. I think those were almost exactly his words. So this is the kind of bullshit that I am dealing with. And it just, it starts to compound and get worse and worse. So we start to think that maybe I'm having another mold issue. This would be third time that I'm having a mold issue. But we don't even know if it's possible for mold to do something like this to the human body. So I go see a mold specialist. There's one guy in San Diego who is a mold specialist who's called onto witness stands when there's trials about mold, like maybe uh, a landlord tenant issue where there's mold in the house and he needs to be consulted. He understands mold. He understands everything about mold. He's the mold guy. I went to see the mold guy. And after talking to me for about 45 minutes, he told me that I was one of the most sensitive to mold people on the planet. He told me that I was in the top 1% of mold sensitive people. No tests, nothing like that. But I love the way that sounds, so I've used it in my life because I think it's awesome. I'm in the top 1% of mold-sensitive people, according to this one guy. But he's the expert. Then he says that my symptoms cannot be caused by mold poisoning or by mold overexposure. That my symptoms are being caused by a mental issue. My symptoms are being caused by my brain freaking out when it smells mold and, uh, and manufacturing symptoms. And that I could be trained to not do that. After talking to me for 45 minutes. Uh, that, that's when things changed for me. Because for the first six months, like I said, I was pretty calm. I was pretty relaxed. Even though I was miserably ill and couldn't do anything. I'm a very optimistic person. And if you give me a six month break from everything, even if my body doesn't work, I will still say, okay, I will wait until my body works. But until then, I will enjoy myself. Because what's my other option? So I actually... Uh, had some fun that first six months. Played a lot of Mario with my girlfriend, and it was super awesome. But then this doctor tells me, and I apologize if you hear sirens in the background. There's some shit happening out in the street. It's Capitol Hill. There's always shit happening on the street. Yeah. Anyway, so after this doctor says this to me, uh, it became my fault that I was home sick. It became my fault that I hadn't been able to go to work. It became my fault that I was a burden on my girlfriend and my family. Uh, and then I started to freak out about it. Because if it's something that I caused, it should be something that I can fix. For the first six months, every time a doctor told me, there's nothing wrong with you, I had this sense of self that was stronger than that, that said to me that there was something wrong with me. And just stay patient. We'll figure it out. These guys are assholes. Don't listen to them. But then this doctor takes it a step further and says, you are you are making this up, basically. Like, this is all in your head. And there are, there are things that are mental illnesses that, uh, that impact people's bodies in physical ways. So I have, to, I have to consider the possibility that he's right, you know? I have to run that through my own scientific method of trying to figure out my own body that I had been going through since second grade. And I cannot, I cannot accept it. I cannot accept that that is possible. Because I found that mold in the house, I moved into my recording studio. My recording studio was a new building and it was mold-free. It was on the same property, which is important to know, but it was brand new, mold-free. I started to get a little bit better right away. 
And that's when, <laughs> that's around the time that I saw that mold doctor. And that's when things got real miserable for me because uh, for two reasons. One was feeling guilty like I was causing this. And two was the fact that when my when I moved out of the house, I got a little bit better and my brain started to work better. And I became more consciously aware of what was happening because I think part of me didn't even understand how sick I was because I was so out of it all the day, every day. So when I got a little bit better, I felt emotionally worse, um, which was really difficult because my body was starting to be capable of doing a few things. I actually produced an album in that time with, with uh, my same friend who was, the, who was working at that hospital, who got me into that hospital, wanted to record an album. And it was really cool and really fun. And I had to take it incredibly slow. Uh, and he was very patient with me and it worked out fine because I was getting better, but I was miserable. I was very emotionally uh, not happy with the situation, but I was getting better from the mold. And to me, it felt like it was time to take drastic action. And I wanted to move. I wanted to move out of San Diego. I wanted to get out of the environment that I was in entirely. If this is environmental, then let's try another environment and see what happens. Uh, my parents were, my mom in particular was very unhappy about that. I had no I had no intention of leaving San Diego because all I've ever really wanted in life is a, a place to live and a place to make music. And if I can have that, I'm happy. And I had that in San Diego and it was awesome. My recording studio in San Diego was awesome. Leaving that studio was a big deal for me. That was like a, a last resort. But I had started to consider the last resort because I could barely do anything still. And I was getting uh, emotionally upset over it now also because of what that doctor had said to me. And yes, I know, get second opinions. But how do you get a second opinion when there's one guy in San Diego who has that expertise? You can't. So we decided to try to remove the mold from the house. And the option between me moving away and removing the mold from the house, my parents were willing to pay for that because they wanted me to stay in San Diego. And I, I wanted to stay, you know? I mean, there was this little piece of me that had always wanted to move away just to see what moving away was like. But I've got my place to live. I got my recording studio. I want to stay. I want to keep making music and building what I was building. I had a band. I had a new band going that had not even played any shows yet by when I got sick. So uh, I wanted to get back to that. And there, there was a lot of reasons to stay. And because I started to get better when I moved out of the house and into the studio, we thought, well, maybe if we fix the house, then it'll just get better all the way. So we go through the process of ripping up the floors and taking the mold out. A lot of the workers got really sick, which was very surprising like these big tough dudes that were crawling under the house uh, ended up home like throwing up, calling out the next day. It was nasty down there. There was a hell of a lot of mold down there. But they got it out. So I moved back into the house. And I spent one night there. I woke up the next morning. I'm like, still sick. There's still something here. And it's not like, uh, it's not like I'm still sick in, in the way that I'm still recovering. It's like I got worse last night because I spent the night here. And I could feel it. I knew it. So we, we called the mold testers again and had them come back out. Because if we just spent that much money getting the mold out of the house, we have to make sure it was done right. And I didn't feel like it was done right. And I had had to learn to trust that feeling. It became, I mean, just, just in order to survive, I had to learn how to trust that feeling. So we called them out. They tested the house. And I asked them to test the driveway of the house which was outside, so I know that sounds weird, but it was between me and the next door neighbors. And the next door neighbor's house was falling apart. One of those, one of those hundred-year-old houses that had had no restorations done uh, versus the one that I lived in that had had a bunch. So that house was crumbling. 
And I thought that I smelled mold in the driveway. I couldn't be sure about that because I was getting so paranoid at this point about mold. I mean, imagine, imagine mold being your enemy. Imagine how frightening that is, where walking into any building can make you ill. Uh, and, and that's where I was at. So I thought I smelled mold in the driveway. I, I asked the guy to test the driveway. It was like 50 bucks extra to test the driveway. The test came back. Inside the house was between zero and 40 parts per million of mold spores. Between zero and 40. Outside the house, in the fresh air, was over 300 parts per million. In the fresh air. And, and we checked this with the mold doctor, and he said that that was enough for me to have a reaction. I only saw him twice. The second time I saw him, we came in with those test results and said, look, there's so much mold in the air outside. Like, what do we do? Does he move or not? He had told me the time before that the house was not making me sick. But when I came back with those test results, he said that maybe it was. I left that appointment feeling like maybe I wasn't crazy and that maybe the next thing to try was moving. So I started doing some research about where I could move to that wouldn't have mold. And I found very quickly that that is not anywhere in San Diego. Because under any shady, moist spot, mold is so happy because it's warm, it's got its water, it's just going to chill out, kick back, and breed. If it's really cold outside, mold doesn't grow as fast. Also, you have the Santa Ana winds that are blowing mold spores in from, from other places. And there were cases, according to my doctor, there were cases of people who had died from fungal infections in the brain that came in on Santa Ana winds. So mold's a big problem in San Diego. So leaving was not just sad on an emotional level with my family. It was also, it was also basically starting my life over. Uh, because that studio was my career in my mind. I've never been one to want to work in an office building and build a career that way. I've wanted to build a creative career. So I, and I can't take my recording studio. I can, I can take all of my stuff, but I can't take the building. And the building is such a huge part of recording studio. Having the right sized room that is properly treated is how you get good sound. But I told myself, you know what? You'll start another when you get up to wherever you're going. My primary physician felt like me moving was medically sound. And he's the one who'd been with me since second grade. Like he was my family doctor, which is a cool thing that I haven't had in a long time since I moved away. I was just thinking about that. I mean, he said to me, look, Jesse, I've known you for a long time. I do not think you were making this up. I do not think these symptoms are a manifestation of an emotional issue, as the other doctor said, um, that can be trained out of you. I think that you have a real sensitivity and that maybe you should try living in another city. I took a road trip with my girlfriend. We went to a bunch of different cities, LA, Portland, Vancouver, uh, BC, and of course, Seattle. And I knew instantly, instantly on the freeway that Seattle was where I was going. And it was such a cool feeling to have a new adventure, a new chapter of adventure, a new whole story for me open up. I was 25, maybe 26 when this happened. I'd never thought that I would move away from home. And I'd never thought that I'd fall in love with a place and want to live in that place. That'd never even been something that was on my radar. Because Sandy, I just always lived in San Diego. And San Diego is a great place to visit. Uh, but I, since I've moved away, I've come to recognize that it's not a place for me. It doesn't fit me socially more than anything else. So I fell in love with Seattle. I moved there a couple months later. My girlfriend and I had a long talk about this and decided that she would move with me also. Uh, and we'd give it a shot. We'd move it in together. She came up six months later. My first six months in Seattle were very exciting for a couple of reasons. One, 
is I was in a new city and it was glorious. And two is that my health started to bounce back pretty damn quickly. There's something in the air in Seattle. It just tastes good. The air tastes good. All of Washington state just tastes yummy in the, in the mouth. It's, it's yummy. So just breathing that air, I started to feel better. I started to think clearer. I started biking around the city trying to figure out what I was going to do for work because I had to leave so fast. I didn't have a plan. Well, I had, I had a half plan. My plan was to get a job at Starbucks because I had been going to Starbucks through my illness and really felt good there. Just being around people, uh, all of the baristas got to know my name. They all knew my situation. They were all so nice to me. Really gave me a, a pick-me-up when I came in. I, it just really made me feel good that someone cared if I was having a good day. And I wanted to do that for other people because I had gained this new sense of how important that was. When someone walks into Starbucks and I'm behind the counter and I get to greet them with a smile and it makes them smile, that is so healing. I can't explain how healing that was to me. It was wonderful. On top of that, I met Sarah and Ryan, two of my super close friends uh, who I still hang out with, who worked at that store. I actually chose the store that I applied to because I, I just went to different Starbucks and talked to people and picked the one that had the people that I thought were the coolest. And Sarah and Ryan worked at that store and they were the reason that I applied at that store. And Sarah's my, you know, Sarah's on the show all the time. She's my best friend. She's amazing. So starting all these new friendships and just feeling my body get better and better all the time was just so great. Cut to a year and a half later and I'm sick again. I was cleaning the refrigerators one day at Starbucks. I found mold in the back of the refrigerator. I can't be around mold. I'm feeling sick again. It's that one-to-one thing all over where I'm getting ill. Mold is in the room. I got to not be here. I can't work at Starbucks anymore. Got a job at Theo Chocolate Factory. Cut to seven months later. Uh, oh, I, I should mention, I was a tour guide at the Chocolate Factory. It was awesome. Cut to seven, month, seven months later. I'm getting so sick. I'm getting, I'm getting close to where I was in San Diego sick. And then I discover that all cocoa beans... Every single cocoa bean in the world that has been fermented to make chocolate out of has mold inside of it. And until it is roasted, that mold exists. And I was, I mean, sure, it's only like in one room in the chocolate factory, but, but it's there. So then I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm getting out of food service. I don't want to be around anywhere where mold is possible. So I got a job at the apartment I was living at, at the front desk. I was the customer service specialist. During that time, I started going to new doctors here in Seattle because... I still felt like I was missing something. I felt like mold couldn't be it because I couldn't find any other examples of anyone going through what I was going through because of mold. I've found a lot of examples of people going through horrible, horrible, horrible things because of mold, but it didn't match up to my experience. Eventually, my doctor sent me to the UW Medical Center, University of Washington Medical Center, to the headache clinic, and I saw one of the top migraine doctors uh, at the University of Washington, and she diagnosed me with fibromyalgia. And I know that a lot of people listening to this have been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And I think what happened to me might have happened to you, which is a lot of doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with you definitively. Your symptoms kept coming back. You kept going to new doctors. And eventually they say, well, you've been complaining of pain for so long that you must have a chronic pain syndrome. And that's fibromyalgia. So hearing that there was an underlying cause was like a cause for rejoicing. I remember going to the whiskey bar and celebrating with Sarah. I think Ryan was there too, celebrating my fibromyalgia because there was this thing that had been making it hard for me to function that we now had a name for. 
You can't cure fibromyalgia, but you can treat it. But in order to treat it, you have to have an understanding of what it is. So the understanding of what it is varies from every doctor you talk to. The doctor that I had gave me this explanation that I'm going to share with you because I thought it was wonderful and a great visual. Imagine that two people are in a room and uh, the room is dark. And then one of them flits on, flips on the light switch. Suddenly there's light in the room. Your brain will send a signal saying light on. So you will perceive that a light is on. Like the signal will come in through your eyes and go to your brain and then your brain tells you a light is on. You interpret that as a light on message. Normal brains will get used to the light being on and stop sending that message because you don't need to know anymore. You, you already know. You don't need to continue to be told that the light is on. But if someone has fibromyalgia and they have a light sensitivity or their trigger is light, then their brain will continue to send a light on message over and over and over and over until you leave. It will not stop sending the message. The theory was that this was caused by the lack of a gene called COMT, C-O-M-T, that people with fibromyalgia were missing a gene, that, and that gene regulates adrenaline. A huge percentage of your body's energy is used up by the brain itself. So if your brain is using too much energy to tell you that a light is on, you'll get tired. And then you'll, your brain will go into emergency mode because you're running out of energy and start sending out emergency signals. So her theory was that mold was my mechanism through which my fibromyalgia was being triggered and that I lacked this gene and that because of that, I could never be around mold or my body would go into spasms. That was her theory. This is the best theory that I've ever had up until this point. It's a little out there, but, but it's a good theory. It makes sense to me, logically. So of course, my, my question was, well, can we test me for this gene and this was like three or four years ago. And it was like, at that point, getting, getting your genome mapped was thousands of dollars. It's down to like, I think it's down below 2000 now or something like that. I'm not sure. So I couldn't be tested for that. And then they do something called a pressure point test where they, they, te they test these pressure points on your body. And if you have a certain amount of them, then you have fibromyalgia. So it's, it's kind of the same type of diagnosis I got from that mold doctor of being 1% in the, in the top 1% of mold sensitive people in the world, where it's that doctor's opinion. I think you have this and that's your diagnosis. Go check with another doctor if you disagree. So I went back to my primary care doctor and I said, she thinks I have fibromyalgia. She prescribed this, this eating and exercise plan. And I'd also gone on metoprolol, which is a beta blocker. I was taking a half a pill in the morning, half a pill at night to regulate my blood vessels because I was having, they thought that my migraines might be vascular spasming. And I use the, the word migraine for the pain in the right side of my head that I mentioned before that never went away, that I have no name for now, but called migraines for years. <laughs> and then I, I started eating and exercising very carefully because the only way to make sure your brain has enough energy to deal with what it needs to deal with as a person with fibromyalgia is to build up a store of energy. The best way to do that is through physical activities such as yoga and eating well and sleeping well. You build up excess energy for the body to deplete so if I go into a room with mold and I have excess energy, maybe my brain will last a little longer before my legs turn off. So I started applying that theory to my life and it worked very well. It worked super well. And to me, that was confirmation of fibromyalgia because there's no scientific way to get confirmation of fibromyalgia right now, except for that potential uh, gene test. And that was still a very new theory. That whole comp theory was very new at the time and uh, I've, I've looked it up since then and I've found evidence of it, but it is still not, as far as I know, uh, it is still not a definitive explanation for fibromyalgia at all. 
but there's nothing wrong with treating your diet and your sleep and your exercise. Like that can't be bad, right? So I got a lot better doing that. And I got into a pretty damn healthy place. It was about, it was about 80% of where I was before I got sick in San Diego. So I got back to about 80%. That's the time that I was playing in Mugatu. And that's the time that I got my music video and this podcast off the ground. And that's when I was like very, very creative. I've put myself in a position now where I can think of something that I want to do creatively and then make it happen, which is thrilling. But then something weird happened again. Uh, So at at the top of the show, I mentioned that I hadn't been to work since August. So leading up to that, I mentioned that I was feeling strange. It was the middle of summer. It was very hot. There was no mold anywhere to be found. No mold. And I was having what seemed to me to be my classic mold reaction. So then I tear the apartment apart, look for mold, don't find anything. I look all over at work, don't find anything. I, I, I was working in a brand new building. I mean, I opened that building. I was there with the first tenants that moved into that building. So no mold. But then, then things got really bad. Then I got to the point where I was physically incapable of getting myself to work. I remember the last two days that I went to work before I went on leave, getting home was one of the most painful experiences I can remember. I've had kidney stones. I've had testicular cancer. Uh, what I was feeling that day was, was not as bad as kidney stones, but pretty close, um, where moving was so painful. I got back to my block. I was hungry. I knew that I didn't have the energy to cook dinner. So I went to, so I went to this restaurant on the corner to get dinner. And I walked home and it's like a block from that restaurant to my apartment. And that walk took me about 12 to 15 minutes. And I plopped down on the couch and all I wanted was that food. I was so tired and in so much pain and being awake was so painful. And they had forgotten the sauce and it was a disaster. Because it was like a noodle bowl. You can't eat it without the sauce. So then I had to make a sauce and I made something that was not very good. But I physically couldn't get back to the restaurant that was a block away. I couldn't get there. I called into work and I said, I, I, I can't do this again. I need to stay home for a couple of days, go check in with my doctor and see what's going on. Because there's no mold this time, it puts everything in question. It puts the entire diagnosis in question. So I go to a new neurologist and I'm spasming like crazy at this point. I was just sitting on the exam table and just spasming like mad just because getting there was so much work. The only time I wouldn't spasm is if I just lie flat on my back and just watch TV. And that's when I got caught up on Doctor Who. So I saw this new neurologist and because I was spasming so much, she got a good look at my spasms. And she said that because they were all on, like mostly on one side of my body, it's always been worse on my right side that it wasn't fibromyalgia because in fibromyalgia, when people have muscle spasms, it's even on both sides. I've never heard that before or since, but according to this doctor, it's not fibromyalgia. My primary care physician that I've been seeing for years, she said that she didn't think this looked like fibromyalgia either because she'd never seen my muscle spasms. I told her about them over and over, but I'd never happened in the office. I was never bad enough since I moved to Seattle to have it happen on the exam table. And now it was like every doctor's visit. uh, And that, So every doctor got to see it for a little while, which was really, 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 really helpful because when you're spasming uncontrollably, it's a little easier to take someone to be taken seriously, you know? So 
I finally got taken a little bit more seriously, which was nice. Also, the fact that I had had flare-ups, one of which was major in my life up to this point of something. It's like, well, maybe we missed something. Maybe we missed an underlying condition. Maybe there's something else wrong with you besides being a weirdo. So we dive back into diagnostic craziness. After that flare-up in San Diego, I spent a lot of time processing and re-examining how I thought about what had happened to me. What I kept coming back to is that it had changed me in a way that was so positive. It had made me more patient and more compassionate, more empathetic, more understanding. It had shown me the value of greeting someone with a smile and helping brighten their day. Because you never know who's having the worst day ever. So why not treat everyone like they're having a horrible day? Because you might just make their day. So, I, so I'd learned a lot. I'd changed a lot. I'd grown a lot. But all of that was kind of predicated on the idea that I had been sick and gotten better. I had been bedridden in San Diego for the better part of a year. So I experienced what it's like to, to be crippled and not know if it would ever go away. And then to have it go away, even if I only got back to 80%, was very, very powerful for me. I started to think of myself as lucky that I'd gone through this experience because, because it had made me better. And I liked who I was better now. It made it all feel worth it. But what I wasn't prepared for was for the whole thing to come back and for the diagnosis to be thrown out and to have to start from scratch. To have all of these long-forgotten potential diagnoses thrown back on the table, to sort through all of them one at a time, and to try to figure out what the fuck was wrong with me. But I'll tell you all about that next week. As you might have guessed, I haven't been feeling well recently, so I do not have a premium podcast this week for my Patreon subscribers. But at the very least, I'd like to take the time to thank all of you, all nine of you. Thank you so much for supporting me and my dreams and my passions. If you would like to support the show, this is a wonderful time to do it because, as you may have gathered, I could totally use some support right now. You can learn how to do that at jessemercury.com, either through Patreon as a monthly subscription or a one-time donation through PayPal. Special thank you to Andy El Hadif for singing the theme for this episode. Also, thank you to Andy for helping me get over a strange... Uh, panic I had last night about actually releasing this so I, I just had this moment where I felt like this whole thing was garbage and why was I doing this and she helped me realize that it doesn't matter and I can do anything I want and put this podcast out if I if I feel like it's worth it so here it is thank you Andy thanks for sticking with me through this episode I know this is a little more more personal less sci-fi than I usually have on the show but every once in a while I just got to say something and this is my mechanism for that And I I feel lucky to have that sort of a mechanism in place. So thank you for being a part of that. I'll see you next time.